Come on, let's go. By shortwave broadcast, direct from important overseas capitals, we are about to broadcast this moment in our history. Hello and welcome to the History Workshop podcast. I'm Mary Beth Hamilton. For the past 30 plus years, October in Britain has been Black History Month a time for insisting that at least some attention be given to the presence of Black lives in the UK. Now, coinciding with that event, five of the editors of History Workshop Journal have created a virtual special issue on Black British histories. The issue makes freely available outside the paywall four decades of absorbing and important historical research research on the histories of people of African descent living in Britain and parts of the British Empire, and also histories that analyze the processes of racialization themselves. Taken as a whole, the collection invites us to reflect on the purpose of Black history as both a genre of historical writing and a form of oppositional and radical politics. I'm also a member of the editorial collective of HWJ, And last week, I met over Zoom with three of the collection's editors, Savia Qureshi, Caroline Bressi, and Melissa Ono-George. I began by inviting them to introduce themselves and to say a bit about their work. Hello, everyone. I'm Savia Qureshi, and I'm on the editorial collective of History Workshop Journal, and I specialise in histories of race, science and empire. I'm Caroline Bressy. I'm another member of the History Workshop Editorial Collective, a relatively new member compared to Sadia and Mary Beth. I am a historical geographer who works mostly on the Black presence in Victorian London, but I'm also interested in the relationship between history and heritage and contemporary identities. And I'm Melissa Owen George, also a very new member of the History Workshop Journal Collective. And I work on histories of of Black women in the Anglo-Caribbean and British world, particularly in the late 18th and early 19th century, but also I'm very interested in questions of method and politics around historical production. Well, first of all, congratulations (laughs) on this fantastic creation. And thank you for taking the time to to talk about it. And I wanted to start out just inviting you to kind of set the stage for how this virtual issue came about. Maybe, you know, with a bit of background, people aren't familiar with History Workshop Journal or haven't been able to get behind the paywall to access articles. Just a bit of background about the journal and and this issue particularly. Do you want to go ahead, Sadia, because it starts with you from a journal perspective, doesn't it? Okay. Well, in terms of the journal, I joined uh, a couple of years ago now, and um, I was immensely excited because of the history of the journal, both because it's something I've known well while I've been doing my own studies, but of course the broader movement, which is very much, you know, about writing histories from below, and that's where the journal originated. And for me, as soon as I joined the journal and there was a possible discussion about virtual special issues, I was straight away, I, I would like to do one on Black British history. Um, It fell by the wayside for all sorts of reasons. But then a little bit later, we had a whole new tranche of editors, Caroline, Melissa, Canetta. And so it went from there, basically. And we've been working on it for a long time. I think, you know, it's so it's 
been a really, really wonderful thing, both because, I mean, it's nice that it's timely and things like that, but it's also been a really nice collaborative effort between the editors of the journal, which has been a really wonderful way to contribute to the journal as well. Mm. And I guess that process of collaboration was also a process of going back into coming up on 50 years of the journal's history. And in the process, thinking about the the history of the writing and the memorializing and the excavation of Black British history, what was that process like? Well, it began with a very, very kind of functional spreadsheet of going through Diana Patton's heroic efforts of going through the past issues and basically noting anything that the journal had published on Black British history and thinking of Black British history in very, very broad terms. So imperial, transnational, those kinds of things. And then having a conversation based on what we had about what we would like to conclude, what we would like to highlight. I mean, I have to say, even though I thought the journal was quite good on these things in terms of, say, thinking about race and empire, I was still surprised by how much the journal had published and by very important people and how early on. So, you know, some of the earliest articles we've got are people like Stuart Hall, Cedric Robinson, Paul Gilroy, you know, and it's really, really wonderful to have that within the conversation. So it grew from there. I mean, I guess it's interesting to think about maybe the different histories of Black history and where that comes from and how that evolve so Sadia says there's really interesting material in there but in some ways it's not the material that when I was a PhD student the people that I was working with directly are not here so that's reflecting for me particularly on 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 Bassa and the sort of early conferences that they they do they are Bassa is um sort of mentioned Anna Davin did an early report on one of the sort of the early conferences um I think it's held in Nottingham and she talks about how exciting that is and and the sort of the connection she can see between what will become Bassa and the sort of the the workshop movement very important thinking about histories from below. But I guess people like Haki Madi, Marika Sherwood, people who were really important to guiding my PhD work and supporting me aren't there. So it's quite interesting to, to think about that. Someone like Ian Duffield, who's very sort of connected, I guess, to the movement, very interested in histories from below, isn't there in this context. So there's sort of interesting histories to that. And it's something to think about and how they intersect or not. Raphael Samuel talks about the Windrush narrative and how Windrush comes to represent this sort of particular moment um, in, I think it's in one of the theatres of memory books. So there's definitely sort of an intersection and an awareness, but I guess the sort of Peter Fry's staying power, particular moment, some of say David Aberdeen's work on Hogarth's Blacks you know those kinds of particular moments aren't there and that's not a problem and I think what we found what was interesting is sort of the close relationships and what we might think of a black intellectual thought that were clearly there between members of, of the workshop movement and and black intellectual thought. Well can I can I go back to the question that you had about the yeah. process? Yeah. Because I thought that was something that was really, I found really quite empowering is the way that we actually wrote this collectively. And the fact that it was sort of a collective effort to write, to write this piece. I thought that was, I think, I feel like that's actually really important in terms of the way 
one of the ways in which Black British history is, I think, able to sort of challenge some of the what's become quite common practice within the writing of history, which is to do it quite individually and to be, you know, the way that history is often written, but also, I mean, I, th I feel like it speaks to sort of like a black feminist sort of methodology of sort of collective writing and sharing and thinking through some of these ideas. And I, I, we did that quite a bit, I felt like we had some really wonderful conversations before we actually wrote anything down. And then even when we were writing, you know, sort of the way that we wrote, we could sort of see where the overlaps are in some of the, you know, some of the things that we were thinking about, but also, you know, then someone would add something else and be like, oh yeah, of course, then that, there's that. And then there was sort of like a, sort of a bringing together of all these ideas that probably took us longer, you know, like it was probably, I mean, it was much longer than if we had just sat down, one of us and wrote it. But I think that's important, but it's still, it was such an important, for me, it was so important to write like that. And to actually take the time to do that and to make sure that um, that everyone had that space to add what they were thinking about and to, you know, to have that sort of collective process, I thought was really important to the actual introduction. So it was as for me, it was as, as the process was as important as what we finished with. I mean, I feel like I'm always going on about method, but I mean, I mean that's the thing about Black British, Black British history is the methodology is really important. The politics of that is really important. Yeah, I, I wanted to follow up on that because it's a point that you make in the introduction about the challenges, the emotional as well as the sort of physical and intellectual labor that goes into doing the work that's represented in these pieces and the way in which how history is done is as important in what makes this collection a significant marker of an intellectual movement as the content that it brings up. So, I mean, for me, with these articles, and I think just more broadly, the stakes are very high. The stakes always felt really high. I think in all of these articles, they're, they're, it's not just about, you know, this is a really interesting part of history. And in most, if not all of those pieces, they're using history to speak to, to contemporary political challenges. And, and you can see that um, in some of the earlier pieces and still today. And that, I feel like that is a part of, the, of this legacy. This is part of the history of Black British history probably Black diasporic histories more generally, is that they're, that they're incredibly politicized. It's an incredibly politicized history. And it, it's had to be, right? I think it's had to be. And, and um, all of the pieces that are included in this, this special edition, you know, the, the, content, the contemporary context in which they're writing is also very important to, and something to think about. I mean, we drew on that as well, right? Like that's what we're sort of talking about. Is Yeah, I think I would add to that as well. For me, a lot of the pieces were not just chosen for what they did in terms of looking at particular aspects of Black British history, you know, like for instance, thinking about connections um, or about gender or those kinds of things, but actually what they did in terms of trying to imagine something different. And mm -hmm. this is what I think is really, really important. When people think of Black British history or these kinds of histories from below, I think they often imagine them as a, as solely as a project of recovery but for me it's very much also a project of imagination yeah. and as Melissa says a project of imagining method differently but also a different world the kind of world that you might want to be in and this is what I think is often missing in broader discussions about decolonizing for instance it's often discussed as if it's a stripping away 
mm-hmm. um, to get back to some kind of pure moment that didn't necessarily exist. But actually, if we think of it as a reimagining of what the possibilities of the world should be, then I think, you know, that really changes our relationship to the history of Reefs Right, the responsibilities we have for the people that we're writing about and for our readers and who we're writing for. And for me, that is the most powerful thing about this kind of practice, and which is why I think Melissa's article about method, you know, is so important because it is about reimagining all kinds of historical relationships we have, whether it's with our subjects or our colleagues, our audiences. And for me, that is the way forward. I think that's still a very challenging idea in and of itself. I think still, I think depending on the period of black history that you're working on, there's a lot of imaginative work that has to go on when you're in the archives, right? To think about how you can weave your way through the grains mm-hmm. of, of the archives. And as we sort of said, you know, black history isn't unique in having those absence and spaces, but I think, you know, there's, there's a coming together of black bodies in all the kind of absences that happen in other kinds of histories and working class histories and women's histories, you know, for women of color who were also working class, you know the combination of all those things together makes it really difficult to mm-hmm. to surface to surface those histories mm-hmm. and so it, it 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 forces a particular kind of engagement which is really hard mm-hmm. but i guess maybe can also be really rewarding mm-hmm. as well when when something does come together from that but it's still i think it is still challenging to have some of those methods accepted mm-hmm. more broadly yeah, I mean, I, I agree. So, so black, I mean, black British history is not unique. I think you're right, uh, Carolyn. But, but I think actually, it's also the fact that that black people have been dehistoricized in so many ways, right? Like, so I know that there's a tradition, like women's history, white women's historians sort of writing about the absence of or being told that there's no women in history and, and things like that. But not in the same way, I think that black people have. Like we had no history. We were not human. We had no history. We had no culture, you know, nothing. So, I, so I've just finished writing this lecture, for instance, on like the way historians have engaged with race. And some of the early historians within Britain writing about, or Brit- the British Empire writing about um, race are writing about black people and trying to actually challenge these this you know like from the 19th century trying to challenge the notion that there is no history and therefore and what that means for the position of enslaved people in the early part of the century but also just in terms of the colonies and in its its position within the empire and so I mean I feel like there's this other thing that is really difficult so we're already and some of these um, historians right you know talking about writing um, having to like attend to conventions the conventions of the discipline in such a way Otherwise, they would just be, you know, sort of disregarded. I don't know. I feel like it's it's difficult, partially because of what we're up against, and because of the longer, you know, three hundred years before that. Sorry, I don't know if this makes any sense, but you know, the hundreds of years before that of being told that there is nothing and that we have nothing. For me, I think this is also about who experiences what in the archive, in particular. If going to the archive, either because you're not there at all, or if you are there it's in a deeply traumatic way. And the cost of doing that research to yourself compared to somebody who does not have that 
emotional labor or that kind of trauma of being in the archive looking at these things and I feel that increasingly in the kind of archives I visit partly just because of the the different kinds of things sources I now use originally mm-hmm. it was very much things like say newspaper reports or visual sources but now often when I go into archives it's kind of a lot of administrative material and like the utter brutality of it is quite something and that that that's partly what makes it difficult as well is is being oneself in those spaces mm-hmm. is a, a very very difficult thing it's not some it, it's impossible to go into those uh, those are kinds of archival spaces and and be a sort of neutral subject as it were you know or where it's some kind of abstract concern mm-hmm. you know I, I, don't, I don't think that's possible anyway for certain people to be in those spaces and I, I think that there is an element of why that's important mm-hmm. yeah I think it's and sometimes it can be it's obvious that that pain will be present so if working with archives of the enslaved you know some of that material is is truly extreme even with an expectation that material on enslavement will be difficult I've worked on lynching images mm. but not for very long because it is yeah. just you know it's yeah. just a really horrific experience and I've been able to draw on the work of people who have spent much longer working with those images where I mean I've really just reached a limit with some of those things but mm-hmm. I think it's interesting what you say about how it in in the sort of the administrative printed stuff the newspaper report the census return the odd note on the asylum record how sort of functional paperwork carries these sort of legacies of racialized harm and what it is to to encounter that the imaginative work then I guess what it was like for that person to have have dealt with that and then how you bring those two things together into writing about it so I think coming back to that point about writing I think writing has also been a really important part of of black history so where people publish how it gets written how people's work gets disseminated um, has also been a really key part so I think there's also perhaps something in that say with people that I worked with in BASA getting stuff published in peer-reviewed journals was not particularly important to people what was important was pushing it out to as broad audience as Mm -hmm. possible Mm -hmm. and the way that was done was through getting really great articles printed up in you know photocopied newsletters Mm -hmm. which you would stuff in envelopes and distribute as as widely as they as they could go and thinking about the writing was important how did you write to make mm. things accessible to a broad mm. audience so that it could be used by teachers by people who were just interested by young people who wanted something to be able to tell their teacher when they were told they there was no relevant history or there was nothing for them to know so and and I think that does come through in in some of the the papers that are in the collection as well thinking about how do you reach broad audiences and the kind of people that were doing that work from Peter Fryer to the McPherson report. I mean it does it brings up I think one of the points that you quote about the the twin purposes of historical inquiry as both a social project 
and a mode of analysis, that it's not, it's not purely an academic endeavor, whatever that means. It's not purely an analytical endeavor. It's not purely about argument. It's about action in the here and now and about the relation between those two things. And I guess there could be a way of doing black history that didn't include that, but I don't know what that would look like. And I think that's one of the things we say in the introduction that I think certainly in black British history, it is a history that always connects the present to the past and the past to the present because people are writing and doing that work from a particular situated place that it is enveloped in the writing that they're doing. So I wonder if this is a moment to invite you to talk about one of the articles in peace, just one that that particularly stood out for you as surprising, innovative, whatever way it, it spoke to you. One of the things I was struck by in that the Paul Gilroy piece is that Paul Gilroy is speaking, you know, to some of the things that that we talked about at, at the head. So why, I guess, some of the tensions that could have come out that were coming out of a, a kind of history from below that remained focused on the nation mm-hmm. and what that meant for histories that were for, for whom the nation was not necessarily a useful category. Mm-hmm. So that's also you know, something else we talk about in the introduction, that black history, even the black history that is based in Britain, and that is something that we discussed from moving a kind of long list to a short list, was was how were we going to imagine that container of Britain and how useful or problematic that might be. And, and people might think about that when looking at the list. But I think even if you do have a container which fits around the boundaries of Britain, which of course change during the periods of, of the sort of historical scholarship that's represented on the list there anyway, it can't be bounded by that because of the, the importance of movement or different kinds of migrations that mm-hmm. are an, an inherent part of, of the black experience. Of course, not only the black experience, but they just cannot be ignored. In, in Black British history. And I think that that tension speaks to some of those issues perhaps of, of why there's a certain kind of history that's represented in the collection here, and um, but also speaks to just so many of the tensions that we, we still have around representations of, of heritage, mm-hmm. um, around representations of, of statues, which is something that's reflected in the collection here. And those sort of really still quite fundamental arguments about what British history is and should be. I think within History Workshop, there's quite a settled agreement that a British history is something that is, that is global in its imagination that reflects the empire and imperial connections. But that is not a settled debate more broadly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cheat slightly and mention two. <laughs> um, so the first is Cedric Robinson's article. I mean, it's a wonderful and really important piece historiographically. But the reason I would choose it is because I think it's an absolutely beautiful example of how to do a polemical takedown and write uh, as, as a historical craft, as a piece of writing. I think it's really wonderful. I mean, he's effectively saying 
taking down decades worth of mistakes and wrapping them up and saying this is where these failings have come from in a really, really nuanced and thoughtful way. Because I think think people are often quite reluctant to get students to write polemically for fear that it's not somehow objective. But my personal feeling is that it's much, much better to teach students when polemic is appropriate and how to do it well and how to do it where it's still historically nuanced and sensitive. Mm -hmm. You know, one doesn't have to write polemic that is actually bad history, as it were. And I, th- I, th- I think that article opens up all kinds of things there. And the other one I would pick is Christina Fryers, which talks about uh, the experiences of Anne Pratt um, in, a, a, in a pamphlet, Seven Months in the King- King- Kingston Lunatic Asylum, and what I saw there. And there are several things that I think are really, really important about that. First of all, historicizing the experiences of black women in post-emancipation period, I think is really important because both black women and that period are often kind of neglected within these kinds of histories. But also she's drawing on so many different approaches, literary, historical, anthropological. And I think it shows how many different skills one has to bring to bear on, on these kinds of sources to get to the root of why they're important and how to trace and make the most of them as historians in terms of writing about a subject, but also to think about the subjects within them. So I think both of those articles really, really give us a lot. I think it's also, you know, there are a number of authors in that list who aren't historians mm-hmm. or yeah. wouldn't have identified themselves mm-hmm. as historians, Stuart Hall, Paul yeah. Gilroy, yeah. Gus Casey, Hayford, people deeply interested in history, but not people who are particularly connected to history departments. And indeed, I myself have have never worked in a history department. So I think it's also, I think that interdisciplinary requirement of black British history, both a requirement, but also a strength of, of the work. And so I think that is that black British history takes a wide variety of sources seriously mm-hmm. takes family history in the destruction of the family seriously takes visual records seriously it takes literary work seriously it takes histories of emotions seriously it takes identity politics seriously and those things are are important and i think those are again can be more broadly judged as weaknesses you know, surely great strengths of of, of the subdiscipline. I mean, the only other question that I had on my mind is going back to, to talking about your process and just the context in which this collection took shape, the work on the collection against the backdrop of BLM protests, the arguments about the curriculum, and then COVID and, and the world kind of stopping turning in certain ways and isolation uh, from family, from friends, from networks and connections that would normally take place in person. And and so that's a whole lot of things to throw in the backdrop. But to what extent do you think this this collection is itself a reflection of that, a a product of its time and and this time in, in your lives? I mean, I think it is, it was at a moment when so in, in the sort of the downing of the Colston statue, a sort of a reminder of how important heritage is and those connections between history and heritage, sometimes thorny within the discipline, the representation of history 
in heritage, particularly statues, was at the forefront of a really bitter political moment, which has not ended. And it wasn't the beginning either, but it was it was a, a particular moment that was bringing to light particular issues. The clash of understandings around the legacies of enslavement and what we could do with those, both the possibilities of what could be done and what should be done, but also at the, just the sort of the broader lack of understanding or willingness to acknowledge that there had been a long discussion about those kinds of histories for a really long time, you know, that this was not a sudden eruption by any means. And, and so Madge Dresser's paper looking at statues and, and slavery was, was partly there as, as a reminder of that, but also a highlighting of the processes of different kinds of mappings. That, that have been take, have taken place. I think it also spoke to the process. Right? We couldn't meet together. We might have we might have written it differently if we we could have met. I don't know that that would have made for a stronger introduction. I agree. I think the process worked really well in the end, which was that we set ourselves a a number of questions, which we came to after quite a few conversations on Zoom where we had these great conversations but it was quite hard to think about how we were going to move from these big conversations about methods and emotions and the politics of writing history to words on a page of two to three thousand words. Mm. So we sort of moved from big themes that arose from those conversations we put into questions which we then circulated between us and and sort of built on each other's thoughts and and wrote them through through together and and managed to get a, a narrative that that became a collective piece which but you know it's it was a really great way to to work on something together and it was really nice to have a moment to come together and think about those things and a space to discuss those things at Know, what we might come to look back on as as the start of a particular moment in history wars for for the UK. I mean, I think how this political moment is going to pan out is is not certain at all. I think from my perspective, there are three particular moments that matter. When I originally proposed this, it was actually the ongoing Windrush scandal, and as well as my joining, that was kind of that was on my mind. And then as things developed. There was the murder of George Floyd, the downing of Colston. But I think also over the last year, there's also the ways in which suddenly lots of institutions have recognised that this history needs to be taught. And for the first time ever, they're hiring people within Black British history as their formal job title. But also so often and usually hiring the first person <laughs> in their department ever who's of African descent sometimes those are one and the same things not necessarily so there are three very very different moments and of course the the broader political context of the cultural wars that Caroline mentioned for me all of those are extremely important things that go into thinking about what this subject means right now because what I find quite interesting is we are starting to see these kinds of appointments and they're long overdue but we are not anywhere near a position of equality, let alone equity. Yet, even despite that, 
we already have pushbacks and hit pieces written in national newspapers saying that the uh, you know that things have gone too far mm. and i find it extraordinary that as an inch is given such a strong backlash is instigated and to me that is extremely telling of just how exclusionary things have been and how much labor is going to be used to try and maintain that exclusion just as things are opening up in you know and whether that's in terms of black british history being taught black historians being hired uh, curriculums changing you know it's it's really really quite an important moment to think about those kinds of pushbacks as well yeah uh, I was going to say that that's so the higher end so the institutionalization of black British history I think it's a very important moment I think one of the things I thought that we really did do well in the introduction was and I felt was really important was to to make sure that, that there's a very clear understanding that 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 this is not the beginning of Black British history. Like it's, it's not the beginning, like this is not, it's not like Black British history has never been taught or it's, you know, or, or that the only space or even the best space is within the institution, is within, within um, academia. And I feel like, I mean, I felt like that, that's really important because, because still the majority of people who are going to be taught Black British history are not going to be taught it in the university, right? And they're not going to be taught by a person of African ancestry. That's just not going to happen. And so, and you know, it's still, I, I don't want it to be co-opted <laughs> like in a way that this, there's this balance in that's, that for me is, is really important so that there is recognition of the number of uh, historians or people doing historical work who might not be professional historians or who might not be called on or paid to do some of these talks or whatever else, but who are actually the ones who have done, who are the reason that, that we're actually talking about it still today, that we're, you know, and that these positions are coming into place. And, and Carolyn has mentioned Bassa, but of course there's other people who've been doing this for, for decades and decades and decades. Peter Fryer, you know, wonderful, but you know, like he wasn't the first one in Britain to be published in Black British history. Edward Scobie is the one who always comes to my mind, to be honest. And, but even before that, you know, in newspapers and these other spaces and community centers and still today. And I feel like that's really, it was really important in the introduction. Although, you know, we have those articles that are published in, that were published in HWJ, all of the other Black British history that was not published in HWJ, I think it was really important for us to at least acknowledge that that was there and that there's there, the publication in itself, there's a politics and who was published and who wasn't. So getting back in terms of the moment, you know, I, I think that, yeah, there's, so there's this increase in roles in Black British history. I have one myself, which is great, you know, but I think it's really, you know, I want to make sure that it doesn't, Black British history doesn't become something else. And it doesn't also mean that the institution can then check its box and it's done. Yeah, because the hiring really is institutionally the absolutely minimum it step. Is. It's it not even the first step, it's a minimum step. And then there's all the other kinds of issues about supporting people in those positions, about supporting students who want to do those histories, yes. about actually creating pathways for people to come into academia through it, but also be supported as they go out and do other kinds of things. Like This is something that should have been decades ago. Yeah. And the fact that it is happening now is important, but it is not something to be kind of celebrated as if it's the end point by any means. It is the bare minimum. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm seeing this actually with, 
I'm seeing this with many students, Black students who are coming up in, in, in history, right? Where they're, they're being asked to do all sorts of things, right? And in a sense, it's like given opportunities. On the other sense, being asked to do things that are, that are going, that I fear will derail actually what they're there to do, right? So they're being asked to take on this job. And I mean, I don't know if Sadia and Caroline, I'm sure you get this as well, where you're asked to do all of this work around, particularly, you know, sort of race work that sort of distracts from the kinds of the other kinds of work that is actually important for us personally, but also in terms of our field, you know? And so, and I see this with increasingly with students being asked to do a lot of this work as well, black students being asked to do this work. And so it's that kind of thing as well that I'm, I feel like I'm getting off track, but that it's, it's that kind of thing that I'm trying to balance against or try to be careful about. But I do think it's really important because people assume that if you're interested in this, you must be a fully qualified diversity worker. Or that if you have some melanin, that you are a fully qualified diversity worker and that you want to do these kinds of things. And actually the thing that might be most important to you might be doing community work, or it might be writing or, you know, those kinds of things. Or it might be any number of things that have nothing to do with trying to fix broken or oppressive institutions. But the assumption that that's what that person is there to do is really, really damaging in many kinds of ways and distracting. I mean, I think it's that actually, Sadia, I think it's that point is that these positions cannot be positions to fix broken institutions, right? Like that is not the point. Black British history is not just about white racism as well, right? Like it has to be about other, it's about other things. Do you know that... uh, (laughs) This actually reminds me, very recently, I saw a programme for Black History Month for an institution, and it was just full of sessions devoted to diversity on how to be a good white ally and how to do, you know, on race. There was almost nothing about history. There were almost no, but I don't think there was anyone of African descent actually talking about history. Like it was just extraordinary how this month has been rebranded into a month about race work mm-hmm. or diversity work, and it's it's really really worrying because at a moment when uh, there are so many more people that could be talking about Black British history, actually that that particular focus is being taken away. We did have a discussion, didn't we, about when we wanted this collection. To, to come out and, and should it come out and during Black History Month and that a long discussion of, you know, among scholars of colour about what, you know, what is Black History Month, the work that it does, the work that it can do, the work that it should do. And I think there have been different debates that have come to the fore as the broader political context has, has, has changed, certainly, say, over the last 15, 20 years. But I think this this year is interesting. I think this Black History Month is busy. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a busy time in the sense that some organisations feel that they need to do things when they perhaps haven't felt the need to, to do things in, in the past or, or they've, they've you know, let that go. But it's still an afterthought. So I'm still getting emails this morning about giving <laughs> Black History Month talks and this next week, month, not next year. <laughs> yeah, and it's just well, the sort of the kind of you as oh we have we ought to do something and we haven't. And what does that mean? Who can we call upon to do this? And and so those kinds of sort of 
old circular narratives that are there as well and are kind of co-opting then that Black History Month is co-opted to do certain kinds of work for institutions. And, and so what we also hope to do by putting this collection out in Black History Month was to have a focus on history, the work of Black history, mm-hmm. the kind of discussions and debates that are raised through doing Black history and to really have that focus on the history it's not a perfect list it's not a perfect collection there are lots of absences there's lots and lots of work still to do but it was to contribute to that discussion around history and history making that we really wanted to make a point about many thanks to caroline bressi melissa ono george and salia Qureshi for taking part in this conversation You can find links to the virtual special issue on Black British Histories on the episode page for this podcast. Please visit our website, historyworkshop.org.uk. You can find us on Twitter at HistoryWO and on Facebook and Instagram as History Workshop. This is the History Workshop podcast. I'm Mary Beth Hamilton. Thanks for listening.